Faith Church, come on in. And I encourage you guys to be good hosts and sit towards the front so we have space in the back for those that really would like to sit in the back or have a physical need. So come on up and grab a seat. I am glad to be here with you this morning. I am so looking forward to what the Lord has for us today. Come on in. Well, this morning I have a few announcements. I want to make sure you know what's going on in the life of Faith Church. Um, first of all, we've been talking about, um, and hopefully you've seen the emails come out, about the men's, Faith Men's Cook-Off. This is the men's kickoff, cook-off, cook-out. Oh, good grief. Okay. <laughs> cook-out, barbecue, cook-off, whatever. <laughs> it's the Faith Men Cook-Out on September 9th at 6 p.m. at Michael Moore's home, which is just minutes from the church. We would love for men of all ages to come out and gather to fellowship, get to know each other, and, um, and kick off this exciting season um, of uh, men after God's heart. So if you would, though, be kind enough to register online, there it's totally free. Um, we just want to know how many people are coming so they can prepare the provisions appropriately. If Men, if you would register um, on the Faith Church website, faithstatesville.org, by this Wednesday, that would really help out the guys um, preparing for you. So if you could do that, that would be great. Also, hopefully you've seen the emails come out, um, and if you haven't, and if you'd like to be in the know on emails, go ahead on your Connect card and write your name and check um, the, with your email and check the box that you'd like uh, the email newsletters weekly, and you'll get these updates. But if you don't know yet, unfortunately, when that big storm came through uh, Statesville last Monday, uh, the bottom level of Faith Church sustained some damage. We had some flooding. And so unfortunately, our kids' wing experienced uh, some flooding both in the hallway as well as the um, kids' church rooms. And so thankfully, our uh, leadership um, and all of the people who know how to fix those things got right on it. Um, work has begun to restore that space, but it's going to take a couple weeks. Um, and so in the meantime, we've closed that uh, bottom level off for your safety and so that the work can be done. So our downstairs is closed off right now. You'll see signs around the building. It's totally safe to be in the building. It's just the signs uh, make it look scary. But it's not scary. It's just work getting done downstairs. Um, so with that being done, all of our kids' ministry has moved to the upstairs wing. Thank you, Lord, for having gone before us and giving us the space to have a second option. Um, so the kids will be meeting upstairs, and um, the parents have received information about that. If you need more details, you can see our kids' director, Abby Dunlap. Hopefully you've gotten those emails, though, that have gone out explaining kids' check-in and all of that. But there is a piece that does affect the rest of us, even if you don't have kids um, in the ministry here. Our restrooms downstairs that we typically point you to uh, during service are not serviceable right now. So we are pointing people to our upstairs restrooms, which are straight through this door. This very conspicuous door in the front, right next to <laughs> the platform where all the ministry is going on. So what we would kindly, gently encourage you to do is if you need to use the facilities or if your children need to use the facilities during the worship gathering, that you would do your very best to do that um, before or after uh, the word is being brought so that we're minimizing distractions from um, for everybody else um, engaging with the word. So that's totally fine. If you need to use the restroom, it's through that door and to the left. There's signs that you'll be able to see no problem. Um, and 
I hope that is not too big of an inconvenience. I am I'm very aware this morning, I am so thankful that we have two sets of bathrooms <laughs> to be able to use during worship service. So I hope that uh, clears some of those things up for you. Lastly, almost lastly, I wanted to give you um, an update on some exciting stuff coming up at Faith Church. As you know, we are in our Faith Dogmatic series, which is just a series on really lining out what the leadership and Faith Church, the body at Faith Church believes in terms of scripture, in terms of what the Christian life looks like. And to help us go a little bit deeper than just once a week with a 40-minute message or however long the Lord leads that message in the morning, um, to help us go a bit deeper than that, um, we're going to be offering the Kingdom Basics series, uh, a new, ver- new versions of the Kingdom Basics series Sunday evenings um, throughout uh, much of September and some of October. Um, the information is on the screen as well as in your bulletin, but I wanted to highlight this. Um, this is an opportunity. Sunday evenings are an opportunity to engage the word as well as each other. We're going to have several workshops in, um, in practicing the gifts of the spirit. We're going to have extended teaching on some of the finer points of what it looks like to walk out the things that we're learning on Sunday morning. Um, as you can see, uh, on September 10th, Amy, uh, our worship director, is going to be teaching on um, worship and its role in our lives. It's not just a Sunday morning you stand up and sing some songs and sit down, and that's what worship is. She's going to explain um, from a biblical standpoint what worship uh, worship's role is in our lives. On the 24th, we'll be teaching about authority relationships, specifically um, uh, adult-child, parent-child, and we'll be able to pray for our kids um, that night in, in a particularly uh, workshoppy, hands-on type thing. So I'm excited, really excited about that one. Um, October 1st, uh, there'll be, uh, it's a prophetic workshop and hearing God's voice. What is the prophetic? What does it look like to actually tune our ear to him? And then once we have, what do we do with that? Um, that, that teaching will cover a lot of those things. And then lastly, on October 8th, Healing. What does it look like to pray for healing? What's the biblical model for praying for healing? Um, What does it look like to receive that? What does it look like to be available for the Lord to use you in that? So I encourage you to mark your calendar. Six o'clock, those Sundays, we would love to have you here uh, for that special time in the evening for that. All right. If you would stand with me, we're getting ready to turn our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our bodies into a posture of worship. And before I, before I um, open us in prayer, I do want to say if at some point uh, during the service or after the service, if you're experiencing asthma, um, if that's been a, an issue for you, I would love to pray with you um, before you leave today. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we invite you into this space, Lord. Father, we we would just beg you that your presence would fill this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we've gathered today in pursuit of you. We're pursuing you, God, and you know exactly where each one of us is. Whether we've got one toe in, whether we flung ourselves at your feet. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are pleased 
with pursuit of you. So Jesus, I pray that you would come and reveal yourself in each one in a unique and personal way this morning. That this morning would not just be a a thing we had to do, God, but that you would show each one in this room, Father, that's pursuing your presence, God, whether out of, <laughs> whether it's out of duty or joy this morning, God, you use it all. So come and have your way in each heart here, Lord. Come and have your way. Lead us into a deeper place of surrender, no matter where we find ourselves this morning. Help us surrender to you, God. And let it start right now, Lord. Let it start right now in worshiping you through song. You go before us, Lord. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I, I hope you're ready to worship the Lord with me. Remember Revelation 4, we are already, the worship's already in process, and we're just joining what's already happening in heaven. I feel like the Lord today wanted me to tell you that He is the mighty God. He is the God of all power and authority. And I think our worship is supposed to reflect that. Bold, strong, declaring, decreeing His power, His authority, His holiness. Let's worship Him in song right now. Are you believing for greater things today? All right, come on now.
There's a name that levels mountains Calls out highways through the sea And I've seen its power unravel back Right in front of me There's a faith that stands to fight Since Goliath to his knees And I've seen his praise unravel shadows Right off my feet Come on, let's take some ground, come on church Cause that's the power of your name Just a mention makes a way Giants fall and strongholds break
the Lord is calling you right now. Just say, kingdom come over my family. Kingdom come over my work situation. Out loud, kingdom come over my finances. We invite your power to invade every aspect of our lives, God. Move in power. Move in power. This is who you are. This is what you do. You are utterly different, completely separate, completely other. Lord, you are holy and you are worthy of our praise. You are so worthy of our praise. Your name 
us up, Lord, 
lifted us up into the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Lord, let your spirit fall as I teach. Bring to mind anything that you want me to say. speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay standing. We have our 50 weeks in the Word each week. We do one chapter, one verse, one Bible study. This week, Hebrews 11, 6, a very well-known scripture, uh, but one that most people have only memorized the first half of, right? They, we Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Yes, it is, but there's more to the verse. So let's say the verse together. And without faith, it is impossible. Those who seek him. Hebrews eleven six. You may have a seat. We're in our Faith Dogmatics series, What We Believe as a Church. Uh, as we've been going in the last few weeks, this is the last week I'm going to do this slide and explain myself. By this time, I'm just hoping that everybody's heard it once. A dogmatic is simply an authority saying which beliefs are true for the group that they have authority over. So as the, the lead teacher here, I'm telling you what our church believes. It's usually negative, don't be so dogmatic, but it's really a neutral word. And why would I use that and not just say faith beliefs because I like fancy words? No other reason than that. We're going to jump into now our uh, third week on this, and this is the new reality on display. And I was thinking this week about how TV has changed so much from even when I was a teenager, right? Uh, I, I remember, I didn't watch it, but my parents watched Murphy Brown. And, and there was a, a, a so the, the content changed has changed over time because Murphy Brown, there was a huge uproar. I even think like it was mentioned by politicians and presidents that she was going to be a single mother. And that was just causing chaos, in, in the realm of TV and entertainment. How could you display a single mother? Families have husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. And now, if you watch TV, somebody being a single mother would be like the least of their vices. Right now, it's just exploded to where if the couple's married and happy, right? And if the husband isn't a doofus and if the wife isn't a nag, then it's a good thing. And, and the other way it's changed is, so, so not only content, but the, the programming as well. It's gone from like sitcoms and, and uh, you know, there's always a lot of crime shows. I loved Law and Order. Uh, when Law and Order was on, I know there's a rehash of it, but I haven't watched any of it, so I can't comment. But I loved Law and Order. You know, you could watch uh, Seinfeld. TGIF was the jam when I was a teenager. It's like, yes, family matters. That one with Suzanne Summers, I forget what it's called, and all these different ones, like all of them. 
Uh, I, I don't care. You don't have to tell me what it is. Um, <laughs> right? So, so there's, there was all of this type of programming, and now it's all reality TV for the most part, right? And here's the thing with reality TV. Reality TV is a huge misnomer. It's, it's a huge lie because it's not actually reality. Like if you go back, like the first reality show is real world New York. I was a teenager. I'm like, what is this? This is boring. Can't stand this. And now there's been 18,000 real worlds. There's been Big Brothers. Survivor was a huge hit. I watched that for the first couple seasons. So I was like, if I was on there, would I lie and deceive? And I came away like, yeah, I probably would. It's within, it's within the rules, so you're not doing anything wrong. Um, but it's all, and they're saying this is reality, but it's not reality. It's scripted. It's edited, right? The only two reality shows I watch are Master Chef, right, and then Next Level Chef, which are both both Gordon Ramsay. So there's a lot of yelling and English accents in my house, and and you could just see the way that they edit things. Like if at any point a contestant looks down, like they look down at their own dish and they look down, and they go, <sighs> right? They could do that at any point, but they have that on camera. So they could play that whenever they want. So they can play that when the judge is judging somebody else's dish and the person goes, <sighs> they cut to that person and they're like, nope. <sighs> and they never did that. It wasn't reality. And then they script it and they edit it and all of these shows, they're trying to present to you something, but that is not true. It's a lie what they're presenting. And so Jesus comes and he's proclaiming this new reality. And so to not only proclaim it, he's going to put it on display. So last week we talked about him bringing the new reality. And now we're going to look this week at, okay, how does Jesus prove that this is a new reality? That it's not a fake reality presented to you. And this is what we find in Luke chapter 4. So if you want to turn there, if you're already there, I'm going to read a longer segment of Scripture. I'm going to read verses 31 uh, to 44. Uh, So let me get there. Here we go. And And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of them, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. 
And demons came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And this is the word of the Lord. The dogmas, dogmatics. This is the last time I'm going to show this slide. I'll assume at this point, people listening online have heard it, or if you've been here in the last three weeks, you've heard it. We hold to all the fundamental dogmas or beliefs of the Christian faith that have been taught for centuries. The triune nature of an uncreated God. God is creator and sustainer of all life. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, his sinless life, and his death on the cross. The resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. The giving of the Holy Spirit. The future bodily coming of Jesus as conquering king and judge. And then on a lower level from those fundamental beliefs, we believe in the inerrancy and the authority of all of Scripture. We've had two dogmatics so far, dogmatics one and two. Number one is that faith church believes that the world is a supernatural place, that there are things happening in an unseen realm that have effect and cause change in our physical realm. And not only that, but our prayers can, in the physical realm can cause change and action in the spiritual realm. And this goes far beyond somebody who would just say, well, I believe in angels and demons. That's like, that's beginner level stuff, right? And so we believe that, that when Paul talks about authorities and principalities and we see princes of Persia and we see these things, that there is hierarchy and there is structure to the demonic realm, but we also believe that there is higher, hierarchy and structure in, in God's kingdom as well. Archangels, princes, uh, all these things that you see, it goes far beyond just believing, oh, there's a good side and a bad side. There are different entities with different roles. Like we say the word angels and, and that we act as that as a cover for everything. Right, but there are cherubim that are not angels, but we call them angels. There are seraphim that are angels. I can't get into it. Okay, sorry, tangent. We believe, faith dogmatic number two, we believe that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God when he began his earthly ministry. And that the kingdom of God is the authoritative rule and reign of Jesus over a people, a place, and a mission. It is the reality of the already, but the not yet. And I'm going to take just a few minutes and recap what we did last week because it really bleeds into this week. This is really part two of last week. Jesus inaugurates it. Now, after Jesus was arrested, John came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And Jesus, we said, is proclaiming the kingdom of kingdom of God come was not bringing a truth to be acknowledged, but he was announcing a present reality. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It doesn't matter if the world acknowledges that the kingdom of God is a real thing. It doesn't matter if uh, certain Christians believe that the kingdom of God is just in the future and Jesus didn't inaugurate it. It's for some time beyond us. Right? The kingdom of God is a reality whether we acknowledge it or not. And I want to give you an update on my reality. Last week I talked about growing in a beard, okay? And how I was trying not to acknowledge that there were gray hairs in the beard. But even if I didn't acknowledge it, they were still there, 
Okay, refreshed your memory. Uh, I, had, I had to shave this morning. I had about a three-day stubble, and I started to look in the mirror a little bit. And I thought all the gray hairs were like localized, just like here. They're everywhere. <laughs> they were like up here. They were up here. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to grow out a beard anymore. Okay, so whether I acknowledge it or not, that's the reality. I felt like you needed an update. Right, but in Jesus, when he's proclaiming the kingdom of God come and he's announcing this new reality, it's good news. It's good news for everyone that Jesus broke into our physical realm and began to rule and to reign. That's good news whether you acknowledge it or not. So that's the inauguration. He taught on the kingdom of God. Preaching the kingdom was a central purpose of his ministry. I read that verse this morning, and it's supposed to be the highest priority for us. That's what Jesus taught. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's the already but the not yet of the kingdom. He inaugurated the breaking in of the kingdom to earth in his life, death, and resurrection. And at the cross and his resurrection and his ascension, he strips the authority of Satan to rule on earth. Satan still has power, but he doesn't have the legal right to rule anymore. And the Bible still presents it, though, that there is still a fullness that is to come that we don't experience yet. So we've all, it's already been inaugurated, but it's not yet. And I told you last week, it's like we're in summer vacation where everything we've, has been done for us to graduate eighth grade, but we haven't gone on to high school yet. We're in that place of the already and the not yet. And so now we're going to talk about Jesus displaying the kingdom. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I've seen pictures of it. But I think everybody would agree, if you've seen pictures of it, you, you're missing something out. Because I hear that most people, when they go to the edge of the Grand Canyon and they look down and they see how vast and how wide and how beautiful it is, that they're just overcome with awe. I've never been there. I'm afraid that I'm going to go and be like, oh, cool, a big hole. Right? <laughs> but I don't think so. Right? But... Right? There's something to be there and to see it right in front of your face. I've seen pictures of the pyramids in Egypt. Seen them all the time growing up. Here are the pyramids. Here are the Sphinx. But have you ever, I've never been there, but have you seen the pictures of people standing at the base of these pyramids and how massive they are? That each stone level is five and six feet tall. It goes up to the shoulders of men. And it's huge, and they're huge. And I, I was looking at pictures. Uh, I was going to put it in the, the, the PowerPoint, but it wouldn't have come out on our screen. It was like this shot up, and this person looked like an ant in front of them. You have to see there. You have to see it. You have to be a part of what's happening in it. You have to stand at the foot of it to see how enormous and how powerful these things and these places are. And this is what Jesus does. He comes to not just talk about it, not just to present us a picture, but he displays it through his words and his action. Kingdom power was on display by Jesus in three main ways. His teaching, preaching and teaching the kingdom of God while offering a place for all in the kingdom. It was kingdom power was seen when he healed the sick, 
And kingdom power was seen when he would cast out demons. And there are other kingdom activities, right? We know that they gave to the poor because they had a money box and Judas would steal from it. So there's other things that they did within the realm of his ministry and a ministry as the disciples and the apostles. But most, but these are these three right here are the ones displayed the most in the Bible and they are attested to as acts of the kingdom of God. And we're gonna go through all three of those really quick and we're gonna start with the power in teaching. Kingdom authority is on display when Jesus teaches. Kingdom power is on display when Jesus teaches with authority. So he's going to these synagogues where they would meet, they would have scrolls, somebody would read the scrolls, and then the rabbi would give his belief on what the scroll said. And something about the way that Jesus taught captured his audiences. It captured the people listening because they, they listened to him speak and they didn't walk away saying, well, that was really good. I got something out of it today. I'm gonna go be a better Jew now. No, they heard it and they were astonished. They heard it and they, they sat back in their seats and they're like, what is this? This is different. He's not teaching the way other people teach. He doesn't sound like any rabbi I've heard before. In the parallel passage in Mark, it says they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. What he was talking about, the way he said it, the, the spirit at work, obviously, uh, in the teaching, people looked at it and said, there's something there. There's something there. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus always says, you've heard it's been said, but I say to you. You've heard it's been said, do not murder. And anybody who kills someone else is liable to hellfire. But I say to you, he's saying, look, you, you thought it was this way, but it's not. It's this way. And when people heard that, they didn't rebel against him all the time. Not at the Sermon on the Mount, they didn't. In other places, they did. But in the Sermon on the Mount, they, they, they said, okay, He's teaching like he knows something we don't know. He doesn't teach like all the other scribes. He doesn't teach like all the other lawyers. He doesn't teach like the... There's something that he's saying that we don't understand yet, but we're astonished. Matthew 22, even towards the end of his ministry, when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. It seems like throughout the scripture, throughout the gospels, that Either people are astonished and amazed at his teaching, and they, they're like, yes, more, more, or they want to kill him. It's like, oh, you taught that? Stone him. Happens in Luke chapter 4, before the passage I read. He says, this has been fulfilled, and they start to get angry, and they want to stone him. There's power in his teaching. And in his teaching, as he teaches, 
He is offering entrance into the new reality to the kingdom of God for any who would come and follow him. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's talking to Pharisees here who are as righteous as you can get on the earthly plane, on the earthly level. As righteous as you can get. And he's saying, if you think you're righteous, I didn't come for you. My offer of forgiveness, my offer of the kingdom, my offer of fellowship with me is for those who are sick. So if you come in this morning feeling sick, Jesus' offer is for you. If you come in feeling unrighteous, if you come in feeling unclean, the offer of Jesus is the same then as it was now. I've come for you. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is, this is what we do. We come to him and we follow him. Jesus says, this is, this is the description of my sheep. They know my voice and they follow me. They know my voice and they follow me. And so when we present, when we present the gospel, it's more than just Jesus died for your sins, so that, but that is included. It's more than just if you, if you just say sorry, he'll, he'll accept you into his family, into his kingdom. It's more than that. You're saying, this is what Jesus is like. When you're presenting that to somebody, you're telling somebody, you may be far. You may feel unworthy. But Jesus is so good that he made a way for you to come back to him. He made a way for you to follow him. It's going to cost you everything going to cost you the world. You, you, can, you can try to gain the whole world, but, don't, but you'll lose your soul. Don't lose your soul. Follow him because Jesus is that good. There's power in his teaching. And so he's in the synagogue and he's teaching and they're astonished and they don't know what to do. And as he is teaching, somebody stands up in the middle of it and not just to go to the bathroom. They stand up in the middle of it and they cried out with a loud voice, what have you do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This wasn't a, a, a silent disruption. It's, that's a yell. That's a scream. Not, um, excuse me, Jesus of Nazareth, I have a question. May I interrupt? It, they're yelling at him, it says. With, they cried out with a loud voice. Kingdom power is on display when Jesus casts out demons. Here's the passage. The, the, the demon in the man stands up and causes the man to cry out. And it said, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And it didn't come out easily or quietly, or it didn't come out easily. It came out quietly because he told it to come out quietly. But it doesn't come out easily. It says the demon threw him down in their midst. 
So it wasn't be silent and come out of him. The guy's like, whoo, okay. All right, teacher, what do you have next? It threw him on the ground. This isn't, this isn't nice church. This isn't easy church. This isn't non-disrupted church. And it came out of him, but it did him no harm. I've seen, I've seen people as demons are being cast out of them fall, being lifted, not like lifted, levitated, but just come and fall. This stuff still happens. Right? As Jesus is teaching with his power and authority, the, the demons can't help but, but manifest and be there. And we've never had anybody stand up and scream, but every time I teach on demons, I can usually look around and see somebody start to manifest just a little bit because something gets uncomfortable. I remember the first time I ever taught about it on a Sunday morning. There was somebody sitting there. And it's usually is a, is a nice, still person. And as I'm teaching, they're sitting there in their seat and they're just... They're sitting like this, and they can't sit. They're just, they're just like this in their seat. And I'm up here, and I'm like, oh, I know what's going on here. And, I, and we closed the, the, the service, and I said, amen. And that person who usually stood around and would talk to people or be kind or just bolted for the door. Like, I know some of you are like, I don't want to talk to anybody this Sunday. I'm just going to leave. And you get out of here pretty fast. This person, like, ran out. I've seen people who sit stone still when I teach, like a good Baptist, right? Stone still. <laughs> Not saying it. And I've seen them as I start to preach on the demonic. They go, they start fidgeting. They can't sit still. They're just in their chair. And I'm like, okay, maybe they're just uncomfortable, but maybe there's something more. I've had people tell me that, that they, they see people that they know react when I talk about certain subjects. Like it's like, yeah, this person will be listening and they'll be listening to what you're saying. But as soon as you say, as soon as you talk about this subject, they're done. They're gone. This stuff still happens, not the same level. But when he casts the demons out, they look at each other. They're amazed. And they say, what is this word? For with authority and power. He commands the unclean spirits, and they came out. And then he goes and he heals Simon's mother-in-law, and everybody starts to come to him. Word spreads throughout the, the, the town and maybe the surrounding villages. Something's happening. You have to come. So all the sick who are coming, all the sick are being brought to Jesus. And it said, any who were sick with various diseases... They were brought to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. So just, uh, we'll get into this in coming weeks, but a little preview. They're coming to be healed, and they need to have demons cast out. Just think about what that might mean. This is Jesus' power over the demonic. The casting out of demons displays Jesus' power over the kingdom of Satan. The demons don't stand a chance. His word with authority, with power, he calls them out. They must obey. And they go. 
They put up, they, these don't put up fights. But there's other times when they put up a fight. Legion, right? He goes, and it says that he, was, he kept calling them out. He kept, he kept rebuking spirits. And I don't know if that's because every time he cast one out, another one popped up, and so he had to keep going one at a time. I don't know if that was it. Or I don't know if it was putting up, they were putting up a fight. I think, they, I, I think it was just one at a time. And then he finally is like, all right, no, no, no. Let's get you in a group. What's your name? What's happening? Legion, there are many of us. And he says, all right, all of you then come out. Can we go to the pigs? Yes, pigs, oink, over the cliff, dead. Right. Jesus casting out demons is a sign that he will soon disarm all demonic forces. These are the precursors. These are the appetizers to the main course. I'm hungry this morning. Appetizers to the main course. They are the, the precursors, the pre-battles, the skirmishes before the war really happens. And Jesus, everywhere he goes, every demon he encounters, he has victory over. Everyone. And so as he's going, the battles are being won before this grand-scale war happens, we talked about a couple weeks ago. But him casting out demons is, a, demons is a sign. And it shows that anything, anyone or anything opposed to the kingdom of God bows to the authority of Jesus Christ. For he has bestowed on him a name that is above every other name. Every other name was given to Jesus so that at his name every knee must bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is king, that he is Lord, whether in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, to the glory of God the Father. Everything must bow and everything will bow to Jesus. This is what we see. And casting out demons, Jesus says, is a sign of the kingdom. He, he casts a demon out of a man, and that man is healed. And the Pharisees say, well, he's doing this by the power of Satan. And Jesus says, ah, nope. A kingdom divided itself cannot stand, and a house divided against itself will fall. So if I cast out Demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Do you want to know how the kingdom is here, Jesus says? Because I cast out demons. That's how you know. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus is saying, I'm coming after Satan's things. And I'm going to take them. And they will be mine. That's the power over the demonic. He casts out the demon in the synagogue. And then he goes to uh, to Peter's house where his mother-in-law lay ill and she's sick with a fever. And Jesus' kingdom power is on display when he heals the sick. 
He left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. I think it's a good thing that Simon seems to have a good relationship with his mother-in-law. Because some of you, you'd just be like, yeah, just let her stay sick. Just a couple more days, Jesus. That's it. That's it. But they appealed to Jesus. No, you have to heal her, Jesus. You have to heal her. And so he stands over her and rebukes the fever. You want another intertwining of demonic and healing? The same word he uses to rebuke the fever is the same word he uses to rebuke the the demon. When it says he rebuked the demon and said, come out of him, they just transfer that word right here, and he rebuked a fever. So some people think that Simon's mother-in-law was actually being delivered at this point. But the fever left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. There's even some weird, like, it left her. A fever leaves, not just healed. She rose and immediately began to serve them. In the next verse, it says, Now when the sun was setting, all of those who, who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. This is the healing power, the kingdom power on display when Jesus heals. Can you imagine? You, you, you're, you're in a, a neighboring town just a couple miles away, but word's gotten to you. There's a man, and he's healing. Is he healing everybody? Yes, everybody. Is he doing spells or incantations? Is he, where's he get, how's he doing it? He's doing it by the power of God. You need to come. You're going to strap up your fastest donkey. You're going to strap that sick person to it, and you're going to go. And so they come, and he heals them all. And the word tells us that he heals to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he went all throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So he proclaims the kingdom of God and he heals. And then when he's sending out the 12, he says, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out, what? To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Then when he calls the 72 in the next chapter or the 70 in the next chapter, he gives them the, 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 the directive, heal the sick in the towns that you come to, heal the sick in it, and say to them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. So the healing of infirmity, disease, sickness, illness is a sign that the kingdom of God has come near. So when we pray for the sick and someone is healed, the kingdom of God visits us in that, in that moment. That's how come when we pray for sickness, all we're really praying at the core is, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Where there is no sickness, where there is no infirmity, where there is no disease, let that come now as well. Jesus 
heals to proclaim the kingdom of God. And we see from these verses that preaching the kingdom and healing the sick go hand in hand. That he's always doing both of those together, we see in Scripture. Proclaiming, healing, proclaiming, healing. And these are also direct attacks. Preaching the kingdom and healing the sick together are direct attacks against the kingdom of Satan. Jesus always viewed sickness as an and infirmity as something to be overcome. He never looked at anybody and said, no, I've given you this thorn, so just deal with it. He says, ah, no, not right now. Come back in a couple days and maybe I'll heal you then. The Bible is persistent to tell us time and time again where there are large crowds, he says, and he healed them all. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There's so much to unpack in this, but you can, somebody who persists in sinning is of the devil. But the Son of God appeared to break that power to break that unity that somebody could have. He wants to destroy the works of the devil, which includes sickness, demonization, illness, infirmity. Jesus came to destroy it all. Well, Charles, can you explain why everybody you pray for isn't immediately healed? Three weeks, I think we're talking about healing. Four weeks, come back then, and I'll explain it all. And you'll never have another question about healing again. But this is what we see. Jesus always overcame it. Jesus always empowered it. Now I'm going to do something right now that I hadn't really planned. And the person I'm going to ask to come up here, I didn't even get a chance to talk to this morning. Sanders, you want to come tell me the story that you told me last week? He, does, he, didn't, even, he didn't even answer me. He just got up. I'll ask you questions and interview you about it. Okay. Thanks for coming up. This is Sanders. Him Hi. and his wife, Beverly, have been coming. Uh, she's she's the beautiful lady back here on the right. Beautiful lady yeah. back there on the right. Um, they've been coming yeah. to faith for four or five months, somewhere around mm -hmm. there. So you had an accident. How old were you when you had the accident, and what I happened? 30, I was 36, and... Uh, was riding my bicycle. I had just finished a lengthy bicycle ride, about 11,000 11, miles, and was back at my hometown. Um, this was a Cannondale. It was a good brand name bicycle, and I was standing up on the, on the bike. You know how if you're a bicyclist, you stand up and pull with your upper body as much as you do your lower body. And to my, to my surprise, the chain broke. And because I'm right-handed, the chain, the right-handed handlebar uh, came and impaled my right eye socket. I was just showing this to a lady behind the seat a little while ago as we came in. Uh, I love to testify to the goodness of God and the power of his word. His word will not return to him void, and heaven and earth will pass, but his word will never, will never pass. He is his word. I, uh, 
I was comatose. I was the, the handlebar went in, and Benny, the paramedic that was my Sunday school teacher, um, had, the, had the task of picking me up. And uh, he said to the prayer chain, he called the prayer chain to alert them to pray for my parents. I would not make it to Tuscaloosa. I'm a, this is in Alabama. I would not make it to the hospital. So the prayer went out for my parents. And um, sometime between July 1st of 1993, this was Thursday morning at about five minutes to eight when the chain broke. Sometime between July 1st of 1993, I'm 60, almost 67 years old, by the way. Sometime between January 1st of 19, uh, July 1st of uh, Thursday, July 1st of 93, and Sunday morning, July 4th, the eye that I'm looking at you with now is what they found. Because I was an organ donor, uh, even on a bicycle with a driver's license and your, your license is an organ donor, they removed the eye. It was impaled. It was not serviceable. <laughs> so they removed that eye. <clears throat> but this eye that I'm looking at Re you Removed with now, it as in gone. Took it yeah, from your face. Yes, it was your, removed. Your while, face. Okay. Yes. It, Just want to make sure. Most of it came out with the handlebar. According to the, their paramedic. Sorry about that. I know it's much, but it, it's worth it. Trust me, the word of God is alive and powerful. Um, um, so during that time, uh, during that time, I heard the ancient of days, is the only way I know how to describe it. Say, You shall not die, but declare my glory. You shall not lose your sight, but declare my love. I heard it as though the entire world heard this. And yet I was comatose. I was brain dead. I, would, I was left on a ventilator from, from uh, the five surgeons that attended to me over the three-day period. Uh, when they discharged me, four said unexplained, 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 unexplained. And one said it was a miracle of the Most High God. And he would not leave me alone. He was an Episcopalian unbeliever. And he would not leave me alone. And he was the reason that I have a bicycle hanging in my car shed today. Because he insisted that I tell him how this happened. Pansy, how do you explain that? You just point him back to, all you can take him to is back to the word, Charles. So I just took him back to the word. And I said, November of 92, my pastor taught me the value of these awesome, horrendous stripes on the Lord Jesus' back. And I had the flu at that time. And I said, God, this doesn't make sense. By your stripes, I was healed, and yet I'm sick. But you said I'm healed. You're not a liar. You're not a man. But I'm sick, yet I'm healed. What's, what am I not understanding? That was probably the best question I could have asked. What am I not understanding rather than why am I still sick? What do I not understand? And I knew that I understood that I did not understand I was healed. And that I had to put aside my understanding. The benefit of being brain dead is your brain doesn't get in the way. <laughs> there is a blessing to being brain dead. <laughs> and, and because of that, because that word, had God by his grace had put that word into my heart in November of 92. As uh, Jim Harrison preached and taught and took me aside afterwards. And I said, I'm at home. I'm sick. You know, I have the flu. I've had it two weeks but I just took time out to fellowship over the word. And I said, God, you said this. You said that I'm healed. And I, anyway, long story short, he 
by his grace, he just deposited that truth into my heart. And I know that I know that I know that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus, not by our effort. They which receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 17 says. We're just learning how to reign in life through the word. But it's just, it's just, when the doctors found this eye, my, my mother, I have to tell you this. My mother was in the room, never left the intensive care room. She, beautiful, say, God bless the Baptist. We were all that one day. I'm still a Baptist. I still eat like a Baptist. And so my mother was in the, my mother was in the, in the ICU, and she never left there. And uh, they came in on the third morning, and they told her, they said, now, Ms. Barnes, if, if, if you see a swelling in the eye pocket here, um, they, were, they were putting in eight what they call sterile packs inside this eye socket. Uh, they had mapped my head because all this was crashed in. They put a ruler a straight edge from my earlobe to my nose, and all this was straight. All this was crushed in. So all this uh, bone matter was, was in, the, in the gray matter called the brain. It's called in the gray matter, and they couldn't operate. It was, inop- it was completely inoperable. And so <clears throat> they told me if it gets infected, then we'll have to take him off the because I was on a ventilator. If you know what that is, that probably stinks. My mother didn't like it. I, I knew nothing. I was okay. My mother was the one, and dad was the one that was in perils. Um, when they took the bandage off, they came in every two hours. It was a team. There was a surgeon and an intern and three attendants that came in every two hours to dress the wound and to take out the remove the eight uh, dirtied, soiled, whatever, gall, uh, sterile packs and put in eight new ones in this hollow cavity. Well, when they came in that morning, Sunday, July, 1st, uh, July 4th, at 7 o'clock, an hour short of being three hours comatose. When they came in and started unwrapping all the bandage off my head uh, because it was swelled out, my mother said she just knew in her heart that this was it. They would have to remove the life support because it was inflamed. She could tell something was different. And when they unwrapped it, this eye that you see, that they see, that they found, they fell as dead people at my bed. Now, remember, I'm just waking up. I'm just looking. And at the, this is the first. I woke to all the screaming of my mother, not knowing where I was. There is a code blue that goes not out. Not knowing they've taken your eye. I had no, no idea. idea. I had no idea. An accident or anything. I was just. Sorry, my wife says I'm still kind of that way sometimes. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut, please, please. I said it sweetly. It's, so when they, when they unwrapped the bandage and found this eye, and they fell as dead men, the code blue went out for all of them, and my mother is screaming bloody. Now I know my mother's voice. To wake up and to hear your sweet mother screaming bloody murder, it was not comforting. And yet I did not know what to do. I, I couldn't see. Even my new eye, by the way, my little pocket Bible that I'm reading this one. My, Beverly, how's my eyesight, sweetheart? Low light, high light, dim light, close up, far away, it doesn't matter. This is God vision. God being, it's just <laughs> no readers, none of that. And, and I know another 67-year-old that doesn't have, but the Word of God works for everyone. It works for everyone. He's not a respecter of persons, and he's the same yesterday and today as he was back then. He'll always be the same. But that, that, um, 
it was at the 81 mile marker that the maxillofacial surgeon that mapped me for surgery, plastic surgery that never got to do anything because God put it back. It took five weeks, but over five weeks, it was all put back together. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and at the 81 mile marker on the Natchez Trace, he, he was the reason I got back on the bicycle. Um, he insisted I tell him how this happened. He's a, he's a plastic surgeon. He's been around a lot of stuff, injuries. And at the 81-mile marker, Charles, he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Got born again at the 121-mile post. He received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Our rest of the drive up to Nashville was awesome. I mean, it just time just flew. <laughs> anyway, praise God. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Lost an eye. Uh, just to recap, lost an eye, gauze packed in the open eye socket, now he has an eye. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Here's the big question. Here's the big question. And thank you, Sanders. I know he's told the story before, but I also know that Sometimes it could be intimidating, but he came up here and nailed it. Jesus displayed the kingdom by teaching with authority, by casting out demons, and healing the sick. I think I've shown that this morning. We, as Christians, I hope would say that we want to display the kingdom of God in our own lives, personally, and in the world around us. So the big question shouldn't we display the kingdom of God in the same way that Jesus did? Listen, our Bible study is good. Yes, you should grow in your knowledge of the word. Like you should be reading your Bible. You should be studying. You should be digging into it. Our Wednesday night Bible study is good. Home groups are good. Right, all the, 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 you know, we had, we have a cookout coming out, and that's going to be good. We've had, we had a back-to-school batch, and that was good, and these are all good things. But if we say that we want to display the kingdom of God, then we do it the way that Jesus did. By speaking like Jesus with authority and offering forgiveness for all. By casting out demons by healing the sick. If we want to display the kingdom, that's how we do it. We're going to call our time here for the teaching portion. Here's what I want you to think about. You need to know that the offering for forgiveness is here. In the sense that, in the sense that right now we are saying if this is a time where you need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that offering of forgiveness is here. But also in the sense that when I say the offering of forgiveness is here, I recognize that Jesus was the offering for our forgiveness and that Jesus is here. 
the offering of forgiveness is here. So if there are things that you need to repent of and turn and follow Jesus in, if there are things that you need to tell him that I have broken your holy law, I have strayed far from my father, then the time now is to come back or come to him the first time. Do you have spiritual strongholds that you want prayer for? There's something in your life that just seems to grip you and you can't let go. Or do you want healing prayer? Whatever your sickness or infirmity or ailment is, we pray for it all. Paul says that the kingdom of God does not consist of talk. Because you can't talk your way. You just can't talk about the kingdom because that's not what the kingdom is. It says the kingdom doesn't consist of talk, but the kingdom consists of power. Father, your kingdom come. And if it consists of power, your power come. God, I don't want our faith to rest on the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Come, Holy Spirit. who art in heaven, who is in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, uh, So uh, Jesus tells the Syrophoenician woman when she comes to, to ask Jesus to cast the, the, the unclean spirit out of her daughter. He says, healing is the children's bread. And she says, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And then he heals. But he says, healing is the children. He says, this is the children's bread. Healing deliverance is the children's bread. And then Jesus tells us to pray, give us our daily bread. Lord, you supply for us everything that we need according to your riches and glory. By your stripes, you heal us. You stand with me.
God, you know better than anyone else in here what people have come in with, what baggage they're holding, what strongholds have been set. God, you came to destroy anything that's from the devil. You've already conquered him. I pray that you would continue to move. Lord, I pray that you would right now convict, prompt, push, do whatever you do for those who need some prayer, Lord. Who's You want to move on their behalf, prompt them, push them to seek the prayer. Lord, we believe you. We trust your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come down to the front and do business with God by yourself at the altar. Andy and Amy are up here. I'm up here if you want specific prayer. If you just don't feel that prompt, let's just sing and worship the good, good Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things. can melt the hardest heart, speak life into my soul, who can spin the world around and hold me ever close? Who can search the depths of me and love me to the core? Who controls the world I see and walks me through it all? No
me through my darkest hours a thousand different ways no one but you
പോയത് 